morning, man. That's all right. I'm hearing my name. That's it. Good morning, everyone. Yes. My name is Rob. Come on, Rob. Yes. It's good to be here this morning. Welcome. Let me get a little drink of my coffee here. Yeah. Awesome. It's great to be here. As I said, my name is Rob, and my wife, Tiffany, and I um, lead the Youth and Family Ministry here in the Blue Ridge Church, and it's definitely a privilege, honor, uh, to be able to share the word with you this morning. Uh, I want to uh, just give a warning up front. I'm feeling a bit emotional uh, today. I don't know what it was. I think it may have been the first, or the song Set a Fire. Uh, really... Man, it really, you know, it touches my heart to, to think no place I would rather be. There's no place I would rather be, but here in your love. Here in your love. And, you know, I hope all of us, and it's my prayer that all of us really believe, as we sit in this chair right here, right now, that we are in God's love. Yeah. That God's love is among us and is working through us. And I pray that, that, that that's, that's who we are and that we have that hearing our love, and it just, man, it gives me incredible joy. It gives me incredible peace and confidence to be a part of, of God's love. And if you have a Bible, we're going to be looking in uh, John 13 today. We're going to read the entire chapter. And the title of my lesson, I have no slides, I'm sorry. Yeah, oh, thank you. <laughs> I have no slides, but the title of my lesson today is, What the World Needs Now is Love. Many of you may uh, be familiar with the Dionne Warwick song. What the world needs now is love, sweet love. That's all I'm going to do. He goes on to say that that's, that's the only thing that there is, is very little of. And I think so fitting. You know, as we, as we end our summer of love, Right? You know, for the whole summer, we've been studying out Old Testament characters. And we've looked at some really incredible, some amazing characters in the Old Testament. And they inspired us because of their faith, because of their love, and because of their heart for God. And what they've overcame and what they accomplished was super inspirational. But in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, you know, I've... After, in chapter 11, they'd just gone through and listed the Hall of Faith, what we consider to be the Hall of Faith. And that's really what we did this summer, is, is looked at all these characters and went through the Hall of Faith. But in Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to... Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You know, it's time for us now to, to we have those witnesses, they're there, they're looking at us, but it's time for us now to turn and focus our attention on Jesus. And I think it's so fitting to end our summer of love by looking at the one who loved us the most. You know, if we were going to love, 
And if we were going to continue beyond just the summer of love, but go into the winter of love and the spring of love, who best to guide us and to teach us but our Lord? You know, we kicked it off last Wednesday. You know, Landon did a fantastic job, you know, preaching about the Good Samaritan. And he talked about that love has no limits, right? There's no limits to our love. And he, he talked about three things that can limit our love. The who. You know, we look at, man, who, who will I love? Sometimes we have limits on who we, who we will love. And then he talked about the when. You know, when it's convenient to me, I'll love. But not when it's not convenient. Or the how much, right? Oh, I'll love a little bit. But how much will I love? You know, for me, I struggle... I can struggle with all three of those, actually. But for me, I, for me it's, it's a struggle with the when, right? You know, I value my time as very precious. And, and when, it, when I'm called to serve or called to love, when it's inconvenient for me, I struggle. You know, it could be a, it could be a great struggle for me. But what we're going to see here and what we're going to see today, we're going to see how God loved us. We're going to see how Jesus loved us. And when we see that, the who, the when, and the how much doesn't really matter. There is no who, there is no when, there's no how much. It's only, yes, I will love. You know, love is so important. You know, the world right now is very confused by love and what love really is. And you know, for me, I think the reason why that is is because when I look and I see love out in the world, I don't see God. There's no God in love. God has been removed from our love. And if, you, if you're familiar with your Bibles, you know that there can be no love outside of God. That God himself is love. You know, First John tells us that, right? That God is love. But the world wants us to take love and reduce it to just a basic feeling or an emotion. You know, and it's easy to see why, why that is, right? Any of us who, you know, for me, I love jelly beans. I love jelly beans. Jelly bellies especially. So any, anybody wants to encourage me at any time? Get me some jelly, some jelly bellies. But when I eat jelly bellies, I love them because they make me feel good. It's not just the flavor. It's everything, right? It's everything from, you know, the, the feel of it in my hands to the, the crunch, the texture, the, that initial flavor, and, and, and just the emotions that surround it. You know, it's, it's, it's everything, right? And it's easy to see. It's, I love it. Of course I love it because I have that feeling, this, this, this warm emotion. Do you ever eat any of those bean boozled? Those Harry Potter, they're jelly bellies, Harry Potter. I, at work, at work, we... Um, they were, they were handing those out and recording people as they ate them. And I think I got booger. Oh. Let me tell you, I didn't love that. There was no love for the jelly bean at that point. I had lost, I had lost that loving feeling. But I could also remember my first date with my wife. Of course, we weren't married then. But, oh, that makes sense, right? But I remember the feeling I had when I dropped her off. Wow. And, I let, and I was going back to my car and driving home. And that feeling in my stomach, the goosebumps, the, the, the what do you call them, butterflies. Yeah. You're in my stomach. And I'm feeling, wow, 
man, I think I might love this girl. You know, I had that feeling, right? But those of us who've been married for any appreciable amount of time know <laughs> that love is more than just a feeling. It's more than that. You know, me and Tiffany have been married for 17 years, but I love her now so much more, so much more deeply than I did that day when I dropped her off. And yes, I still get those butterfly feelings, you know, when I see her and when I, we go on a date. But sometimes those butterfly feelings aren't there. But I'm still called to love. Yeah. And to love her because love is not a feeling. It's an action. It's a choice. It's a decision. You know, this morning, I want us to look at love in action through Jesus. So hopefully you turn there and in John chapter 13. We're just going to read the whole chapter here. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash your feet, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, well, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head as well. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than the one who sent him, or is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at a table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? 
Jesus answered, It is he to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify himself in him in himself, and glorify him at once. A lot of glorifies there. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Amen. Everyone take a breath. (laughs) Breathe. That was a lot. I know it was a lot. But what a powerful scripture. You know, what an amazing scene that we, we see here. And you know, one of, the, one of the, the immediate things that comes to my mind after I read this is, you know, do I really understand the full extent of Jesus' love for me? You know, that's the question. Do you really understand how much Jesus loves you? You know, that is important. Paul knew this. This is important for us to grasp this because it's hard. It's hard for us to really see God's love all the time. It is hard. Paul knew this, and that's why his prayer for the Ephesians was this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, for whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You know, do we understand the breadth, the length, the height, and depth of God's love, you know, for us? You know, in the beginning of this chapter, it says that Jesus knew that his time was about to end. His time was coming. He knew exactly what he was getting ready to go through. That he was about to be betrayed by one of his own. That he was going to be abandoned by all of the twelve. That he would be beaten and mocked and spit on. And ultimately, that he would die a slow, humiliating death. And knowing that this was coming, the Bible tells us that he loved them to the end. You know, that's my first point today, is love to the end. Love to the end. Jesus loved to the end. Some versions say he loved to the uttermost. The uttermost. And if you, if you read in, I believe in John chapter 19, when Jesus is on the cross, and when he finally dies, before he dies, he says, it is finished. It is finished, and that's the completion of 
what he's talking about here. That he's loving them to the very end, to the finish line. That he was going to love. And how does he show them this love? He washes their feet. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a big fan of feet. Just not, sorry. You know, feet are gross. You know, I was pre-med. Pre-med back in the day, well, I was pre-med for about a minute. Okay. But I, I thought initially when I went to college, I wanted to be a doctor. And I thought about, you know, if I'm a doctor, I may, I may, I may end up having to deal with feet. And I don't want to deal with somebody coming in with their foot problems. If I'm a family doctor, you know, so I figure that's what they deal with. They deal with foot fungus. I don't want to deal with feet. You know what I mean? So I, I, I dropped being a doctor. Those dreams of becoming a doctor were gone. And uh, at least a medical doctor, right? I was a big fan of feet. But what does Jesus do here? He washes their feet. Man, how humbling. You know, how, how humiliating. You know, and if you think about it, knowing what was about to happen, that now they're getting ready to have a dinner, but he's like, hey, I'm going to wash you. I'm going to serve you. You know, if that was me, and I knew what was about to happen, I'd be like, hey, I'm going to take a little break here. Maybe take a nap. You know what I mean? Maybe just kick back, eat some food. You guys can wash my feet if you want. You know, Jesus should have been the one being served. But instead, he chooses to love them to the very end. He washes their feet one by one. There's 12 of them there. And each of the 12 disciples shared this intimate moment with Jesus. Can you imagine what that was like? You know, put yourself, picture yourself. You've been with Jesus for three years. He's your teacher. He's your Lord. And you're, you're getting ready to celebrate the Passover dinner with him. And you're, you're all excited to have this meal and to share with him. And he says, you know what? You guys sit down. You guys sit down. And you sit down. And Jesus comes, comes up before you and stands before you and, and calls you by name. He says, I love you. I'm going to wash your feet. And kneels down before you. And takes your feet in his hands. And washes them. Can you imagine the love that they felt at that moment? You know, to be able to look Jesus in the eyes. You know, as, as he's doing this incredible service. You know, this is what love is. This is true love. It's not some fickle feeling. You know what I mean? It's not some emotion that comes and goes with the wind. But it's a humble, self-effacing service. The willingness to humiliate yourself. To go beneath someone else. To put others above you. But this was, this was only the precursor of what was going to happen. This was not the full extent of Jesus' love. You know, that was going to be demonstrated in the following ch- chapters on the cross. Where he died for the sins of the world. You know, the lesson for the disciples, and I think for us, was not only must we be willing to wash one another's feet, but that we must be willing to die. John 15, verse 13, says this, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. 
1 John 3.16 By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. You know, the question is, are we willing to love to the end? You know, are you willing to lay down your life for your brother or sister? Look around the room. You will, will we serve each other in this way? Will we stand by each other's side through thick, through thin, and wash each other's feet and to serve each other? We have to love to the end. It doesn't stop. We have to finish it. We have to love to the end. My second point, we need to love unconditionally. You know, for me, this is probably the most toughest and the challenging and convicting aspect of Jesus' love in this moment. You know, is is Jesus' ability to love no matter what. To love unconditionally. Because who was in the room with Jesus at this time? Judas. You know, Judas was in that room. Did Jesus treat Judas any differently? than the other 12? No. You know, Jesus washed all 12 of his disciples' feet. He served them all and loved them all completely. And he knew the hearts of each and every one of them. He knew Peter was going to deny him. You know, he knew Thomas would doubt. And he knew Judas would would betray. He reveals this, right? When he says, for he knew... Who was, uh, who was to betray him? That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And he goes on in a couple other verses to talk about it. Jesus knew. What was gonna, the person that was going to turn him over to be crucified was right there. But not only that, think of the darkness that was there in that moment. It says that Satan entered him. At that point, Satan was in their midst. Satan was right there among them, the twelve, at this time with Jesus. You know, there's a darkness in this world. I don't know if you've, you've figured that out. But there's a darkness. And Jesus, knowing the evil and the darkness that was in Judas's heart, still kneeled down before him, still looked him in the eyes, and told him he loved him. And still wash his feet, just like he did the other 12. You know, we have to love unconditionally. You know, I want to share a story. And some of you may be familiar, but roughly about 10 years ago, there was a, a shooting at a school, Amish school in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, where... You know, these little girls were killed. But there's a powerful story, I think, for each of us in that moment. I want to read this story. It's a decade after Amish school shooting. Gunman's mother talks of forgiveness. Ten years ago, a gunman barricaded himself inside a one-room Amish schoolhouse near Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Then he opened fire. Charles... Charlie Roberts killed five children 
and injured five others before killing himself. These were all little girls. The Amish community responded in a way that many found surprising. They forgave the shooter. And in the years since, they have grown close to his family. As I turned on the radio on the way there, the newscaster was reporting that there had been a shooting at the local Amish school. Terry Roberts tells her friend Dolores Hayward during a recent visit to the StoryCorps. By the time that I was at my son's house and I saw my husband and the state trooper standing right in front of me as I pulled in, she continues, and I looked at my husband, he said, it was Charlie. He said, I will never face my, face my Amish neighbors again. That week, the Roberts had, Roberts had a private funeral for their son. But as they went to the gravesite, they saw as many as 40 Amish start coming out from around the side of the graveyard, surrounding them like a crescent. And what they were doing, they were blocking the media from being able to interfere in the funeral. It's unbelievable. Love just emanated from them, Terry says. I do recall the father saying, I believe that I've forgiven. There are some days when I question that. Terry finds it especially hard to accept that forgiveness when she thinks of one of the survivors, Rosanna. Rosanna is the most injured of the survivors, she explains. Her injuries were to her, were to her head. She is now 15, still tube fed and in a wheelchair. And she does have seizures. And when it gets to be this time of year, as we get closer to the anniversary date, she seizes more. And it's certainly not the life that the little girl should have lived. Terry asked if it would be possible for her to help with Rosanna once a week. I read to her. I bathe her, dry her hair, says Terry, who herself is battling cancer. And while she can't say it with 100% certainty, Terry believes Rosanna knows who she is. I just sense that she does know, she says. I will never forget the devastation caused by my son, says the 65-year-old Terry. But one of the fathers the other night, he said, none of us would have ever chosen this, but the relationships that we have built through it, you can't put a price on that. And their choice to allow life to move forward was quite a healing bomb for us, she says. And I think it's a message the world needs. You know, we're not too far removed in recent events from seeing similar darkness in our town. And the response to the, the Amish people had in this moment is so convicting. You know, it convicts my heart. And what about us? You know, would we love under these same circumstances? You imagine burying your daughter on Friday and on Saturday attending the funeral of her shooter. But that is love. That is love. And you don't think those people are struggling with grief? They are, just like any one of us would be. But they make a decision. They know that we have to forgive. We have to love. Why? Because Jesus washed their feet. Jesus was willing to wash their feet. You know, there's a... Think about... 
Think about the person that's hardest for you to love. You know, there's a, a great quote by Dorothy Day. I don't know who Dorothy Day is, but she has this quote. It's very, <laughs> it's very memorable. And she once said that, I really only love God as much as the person I love the least. I mean, think about that. Our love for God is directly proportional to our love for the person that we love the least. I mean, that is convicting. And it should drive us to love unconditionally. You know, we need to, we need to decide today that we're going we're gonna to love unconditionally. That we're going to look around this room. And it doesn't matter who we are, where we're from, but that we're going to love. And we're going to fight through. Because I can tell you right now, all of us tomorrow are going to go to work or go out And we're going to encounter people that are hard to love. You know, we're going to encounter people, someone that is rude, that are mean. It's just going to, it's going to happen. But how are we going to respond? Are we going to respond in frustration, in anger, or will we love? Will we respond like Jesus? Will we respond in love? Third and final point. We need to love one another. We need to love one another. Again, it goes back to the question, do we really understand what Jesus was doing here as he washed his disciples' feet? Jesus was both teacher and Lord. If there was anyone in that room that deserved to have their feet washed, it was him, right? In John 13, verse 14 and 15, it says, if then you, your... If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. You know, Jesus wasn't too distinguished to lower himself beneath his disciples. He was their teacher. He was their Lord. You know, do you understand what that really means? that they, he was their master. He was one having power and authority over others. You know, he was God in the flesh, yet he didn't consider that something to be grasped, right? That's what it says in Philippians chapter two. You know, being equal to God, didn't consider that a thing to be grasped. You know, Jesus even taught his disciples in Matthew 20, in verse 25 through 28, that you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and the great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You know, Jesus set the example for us to follow by washing his disciples' feet. You know, we are meant to serve and love each other. We are to be one another's slaves. Think about that. And that's really the word that's being used there. We are to be each other's slaves. And and being a servant means that we have to do some work. Right? 
we have to do some work. You know, we don't just say to one another, I love you, although we do. Love you, bro. Love you, sis. You know, we say it all the time. Love you, honey. I love you. I love you. And it's so commonplace. And it's so easy for us to do. But in 1 John 3, 17, 17 and 18, it says, But anybody, if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. The only... Wait, sorry. Lord, love is not a word or talk. Love is deed and truth. Love is action. It is work. We have to actually do something. We have to do something. You know, a great story, and I love, I love to share this. It's a powerful story that I personally experienced God's love for me, you know, through my brother in Christ. But about a year after Tiffany and I got, I got married, my mom had a battle with cancer. She, she passed away. And she, and I had to, Tiffany and I had to go up to New Jersey uh, to attend my, my mom's funeral. And I remember that morning, going to the funeral and struggling, you know, questioning what was going on, mm-hmm. what was happening, you know, what we had prayed for so long, and what, what it was God doing. And then as, as I was walking into the, the funeral, par, funeral, funeral home, you know, I saw my brother in Christ come up to me and hug me. He had drove the day before, the night before, all through the night, from Virginia Beach to be there for me. I thought, I thought, wow, God loves me. He's encouraging me, even in this dark moment, this challenging moment where I was at probably one of the lowest points in my life. He was there not just for me, but for my family, for my brother, for my sister. Who's there? You know, why is it so important that we love one another? You know, why does it really matter? You know, because what the world needs now is love. The world needs us to love each other. You know, we know we live in a dark world. And the only answer to the darkness around us is love. And it starts with the love we have for each other. You know, at the end here, in chapter 13 and verse 34 and 35, uh, you know, scripture we're very familiar with. But he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A new commandment. You know, this is a new commandment. This is not optional. Jesus is telling us here, love is not an option. We need, we are commanded to love. And it says, by this, all people know that we are Jesus' disciples. Who's going to know? Everyone. Everyone. Yes, thank you. All people. Who are all people? The whole whole entire world. Yes. Thank you, Leah. She's five gold stars for you. 
all people, the entire world. You know, if we are serious about evangelizing the Blue Ridge area, if we are serious about evangelizing Harrisonburg and JMU and UVA, if we are serious about that, if we are serious about evangelizing the state of Virginia, if we are serious about evangelizing this world, then we better start loving right here, right now. Look around. Because if we don't love each other right here, we can never love anybody out in the world. If we can't love our brothers and sisters in Christ, if we can't lay our lives down for one another, how will we ever do that for anyone else? And how will anyone else ever see God's true love? You know, I don't know about you, but I wasn't converted by a great speaker. I wasn't converted by, you know, some amazing interpretation of the scriptures. I was converted because I saw the love of Jesus through brothers and sisters. I saw the love when a brother came out to a bar where I was drinking and getting drunk with a bunch of people, pulled me aside and said, what are you doing? Wake up. I said, who is this guy? You are crazy. You are crazy. But you would only do that because of love. That's the only reason why you would do that. You know, we need to love each other. You know, how can we do that? You know, look around the room. I think it starts very simply. It's a very simple and easy thing. You know, we, we have to, I mean, just be hospitable to each other. I think it's the number one practical I think we can get, you know, from this is, is look at Jesus. Look at the host that he was. He was hosting a meal with his disciples. And he loves them. He washes their feet. He serves them. He reclines with them. They eat together. He shares what's in his heart. You know, with them. You know, we just need to be hospitable to each other. We need to have each other in our homes. You know, my married friends, my married couples, we need to open our, our homes, and not just to the people we're cool with, or the people we're close to, we need to open it up to everyone. Yeah. You know, we are a family. Yeah. We are a family, all of us together. Yes, Jackie in the back, she's ready. She's, she's fired up about that. Yeah. We are all a family. And not one of us here should ever feel lonely or neglected. Yeah. Never. And if that's the case, we need to repent. We need to be hospitable. We need to, married, we need to have the singles in the campus in our house. Yeah. We need to be feeding them. We need to be playing games with that. We, we need to be relearning how to have fun. We need to get our youth back. You know what I mean? Our empty nesters, we need to have them, we need to learn from them. We need to have them in our homes. Glean the knowledge and the wisdom, you know, from, from them. And in return, those singles and campus students will be spiritual mentors for our kids. And I'm, I'm so fired up. Yeah, my son got to hang out with Landon this week. Friday night, they went to the movies and saw Despicable Me. They went out to dinner, and I thought, wow. You know, Landon's sacrificing his Friday night to take out my son, he's nine years old, to go to the movies, to give to him. And you know, that's going to be amazing. That's going to have such a great impact. When I saw my son's face when he came home, it's like, I was with Landon. It was so cool. Landon's awesome. 
you know, that's what's going to win our children. That's what's going to win our youth. It's not, you know, the parents, we, have, we play a big role in it for sure. But it's relationships outside, mentor relationships, you know, outside of the parents. You know, it's one of the leading indicators of how spiritually healthy our kids are going to be. That's a nugget from the Youth and Family Conference from Drew. <laughs> You know, we can get that, but we have to, we have to get together. Amen. We have to make it happen. We need to be hus- hospitable. You know, singles, take the kids out. Yeah. Never think it's just babysitting. Yeah. Never think. Sometimes I knew I was single. Oh, I got to babysit. Oh, there they are. They're asking me to babysit again. Oh, I got to do this. It's not just babysitting. That's never what you're doing. That's never you are doing ministry. You are washing someone's feet. You are making disciples. You are sharing your faith. You are doing God's will. It's never just babysitting. It's never just serving in children's ministry. Because if that's your heart, we don't want you there. Because that's not it. We are giving. We are loving. We are doing God's work. How incredible. You know, we got to hang out. we got to have fun together. You know, we, we, we're very good at spending time together doing ministry things. We have a lot of events. We're busy, right? We do a lot of busy stuff. We're serving. We're doing a lot of things. But outside of that, what are we doing together? Are we spending time together? When was the last time you had someone at your house? We you served someone a meal? We played a game night? Or just pray together. We need quality time together. You know, another thing we can do is simply just pick up your phone and call someone. Pick it up and and call someone. And someone new, someone different, a brother or sister you haven't spoken to. Or you you haven't built that relationship. With you know, I was super encouraged this morning. I got a text from a brother. Who wasn't it? Who's out of town this week? He wanted. To, he knew I was preaching, and he's texted just to encourage me. Wow. And I thought, man, that is love. Yeah. It's just a simple little thing, yeah. but I felt so much encouragement in my heart, you know, from that. Amen. But we have to be willing to reach out. We have to be willing to initiate. Yeah. Right. You know, the great thing about this scene is that Jesus didn't wait. Wow. He didn't sit around and wait for someone else. To wash his feet. He was the one who initiated. Amen. He was the one who had them sit and to wash their feet. Don't be the one who just waits around for their phone to ring. Because it may never ring. Yeah. And we could complain and say, no one ever calls me. Mm. But we need, to be, we need to initiate. Jesus didn't wait. Yeah, come on. We need to love one another. So, amen, thank you for bearing with me. Yeah. You know, as we, as we end and we, we finish up the summer of love, you know, we've got to look at Jesus. We've got to look to see the way that he loved. Are we going to love to the end? You know, will we love unconditionally? And will we love each other? Because when we do, all people will know that we are his disciples. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful uh, to be a part of this, 
this wonderful church. Uh, so grateful to be a part of your kingdom. And so grateful to consistently be challenged in my heart through your word and, and through the examples that are, are written in these pages, Father. As we see Jesus and we see the full extent of his love and how he served to the very end. And he did this, Father, so that we would have an example to follow. Yeah. And God, I pray that as we leave here today, we will be committed to loving one another. We will be committed to serving each other. And God, that through that love, that all people, that all people will know that we are your son's disciples. Yes, and all people will see your love and will want that for themselves. God, we thank you so much. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Everyone stand up. We're going to close out here with one final song. Come on, Come on, that was uh, that was fantastic.